Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Titus, Titus is actually quite, it's really quite a good book. Um, It gives you a lot of hope for really, and if if you read it through there, there's a lot of hope in what he says there. And we live in fairly, in times where everything is changing and even your hope for a day or a week can be quite different to what it was at the end of the week from the start of the week. You know what I mean? That sort of thing is going on. The other thing is that there's a lot of Tituses in, in, in our church and encounter. They are people who are young, who are being nurtured well, who are in an environment where people are growing in their faith quite quickly, but at the same time you're doing things like university courses and other things like that, and you will go out from this church, which is a pain to a pastor's heart. What pastors like, I would imagine we're the same here, is you want to get everyone, nurture them more, and then all stay together forever, because it's a great thing, you know, you just get bigger and better and bigger and better and all the rest of it. But you will go out. Titus was with Paul uh, from when he was quite young. He was converted. He's a Greek guy. He went up to Jerusalem, the council in Jerusalem, as almost a litmus test, you know. He was actually the test on whether the church was going to finish up as a legalistic organization or whether it would be free in Christ. And he was a Greek, he hadn't, hadn't been circumcised and he went up there and they won the day for people to live in Christ no matter what rules there were going around the place. So he was there as a test, a young guy with courage. He was in Corinth, that church was really pretty, could be pretty darn tough actually and he had to get money out of them. That's even tougher in a tough church to get money out of a tough church, that's really hard. Uh, and then he moved around from place to place. As a matter of fact, there are a number of people mentioned in the New Testament in this early church who were like Titus. There was people like Timothy, Apollos, Priscilla, who was actually a merchant. She was another uh, one of these folks that were upper-level type folk that could go into an, an area and do great things for Jesus in the churches there. And that's what's going to happen out of this church as well. I think uh, the fact that Titus was on Crete and Paul and he had been there for a little while, he says at the start of the letter, uh, is interesting because people say that they started the church on Crete. And they may have, um, but in actual facts, I think it was the traders that got in there because it, it had a lot of really good seaports. It was under Greece, Crete's under Greece, fourth largest island uh, in, the, in the Mediterranean. And... I think the traders had already been in there, you know, people like Jim and others like that, you know, uh, Priscilla maybe as well because she was a tradie and they were, you know, they were sort of so much in love with Jesus that they just talked about him and so he was already known, I think, in the towns around there. So when Paul tells Titus to, to stay there and do certain things, there were certain people already experienced in the understanding of who Jesus was but who were pretty warped in some ways as well. The converts from Crete were interesting people because the Cretans were actually very proud of the fact that for a long time they'd been brilliant liars, all right? They were tough and they were brilliant liars. So some of these people were new Christians, right? But they could still spin a yarn, all right? They were so good at lying and getting away with it that if you were on Greece, which is just above Crete, 
and you were coming down to do business with the Cretans, they would teach you how to lie better than the, Gre- the Cretans. You know why? So that you'd whoop them at business, you know? So that's how good they were. And Titus had to sort that sort of stuff out. Some of you guys in the future will be sorting out churches and issues, maybe not that one, but other ones like that as well. And the other thing that he had to sort out, which is, uh, uh, is in, that, in the reading as well, is the fact that there were some Jewish Christians there who actually wanted to add on to who Jesus was and freedom in Christ. And uh, that's a really hard gig to try and do. Um, the sort of person who thinks, that they, who thinks that they are religious because they can talk religion, that's what I've, I think, that's a good statement. The sort of person who is religious because they can talk religion, they don't really have that experience of Christ, but in actual fact they think they have because they've got certain knowledge. Uh, I'll give you a quote on what a heretic is. A heretic is somebody who is sure that they are right and everyone else is wrong. So when you come across somebody and they sort of, you, you think, hello, this person's always right. You want to say, are they really? You know what I mean? Anyway, they were the sort of things that Titus was sorting out. And you guys, some of you guys will be doing the same. Someone quoted about um, Titus as being like... Uh, Dunatus to Scott, you know how it's always wet in Scotland? It is, it's always raining up there, right? And they said about Dunatus to Scott, Dunatus was no orator, but he would go out with you in all kind of weather. In other words, <laughs> Scotland's always wet, so he was someone who would stick it out with you. And that's what we Tituses need to do. We need to stick at what God's got for us in the church. So I'd like to look at, at uh, something called hope here. I've got it divided into three sections, the passion of hope, a case study of hope, applying that to work, because I think work at the moment is very difficult for some of us, isn't it? It's really not easy. And the reason for hope. So here we go, to Titus on Crete, doing a good job, sorting out the Cretans, sorting out the Jewish Christian issues as well, nurturing churches in these little port towns around there. And Paul says to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 12 to 14, We wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our, of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And what does that lead to? We are waiting for the second coming, which is called the blessed hope. And that creates a great hope or an eager, us eager to do what is good, passionate about what we do. And the point of bringing up the second coming, wherever it is brought up by either Paul or John or Jesus, is that it always gets us passionate about living now, passionate about living here in this life. Now, does that work? The second coming is always good news to people who are living with a lot of bad news. So if you're living with bad news today, the second coming, as I'll try and explain later on, is actually good news. For instance, if a lady lives in a culture where her husband, if he's mad with her, can lock her in the closet, when you actually are someone like that, you don't yawn when you talk about the second coming of Jesus. All right? It's good news for folks that are stuck in those sorts of situations. So we have two basic things that will happen when Jesus comes back. Once he will be known by everybody, we will see him. That's what Paul says here. And secondly, it will be the end of death, disease, injustice, suffering and hunger. And I think that's a very good idea myself, personally. <laughs> so we long for the appearing of Jesus. And so we, because we long for him, we're eager to do good today. We're eager 
to call people to believe today and we're eager to serve in love today through Jesus Christ as well. We're also told in chapter 2 and verse 12 that we live upright lives in our society and upright actually means just. So as a a believer, to live an actual righteous life is not just to be a righteous person but to be an actively righteous person, a person who is seeing justice come into this world. Some people talk about righteousness in the church as private morality, you know, how I get on with people, uh, not cheating on my wife and that sort of stuff as well. But in actual fact, righteousness means to live justly in our world, to live justly in our world. So Christians... And our belief in just being just means that we are willing to advantage and not we are willing to disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of our community. We are willing to disadvantage ourselves for the, the advantage of our community. And the unjust are people who actually want to disadvantage their, their community for the advantage of themselves. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27, the Bible says. Do not withhold good when it's in your power to act. So we as Christians are people who live with the constant recognition of the claims of humanity. And therefore, for us to be unrighteous is not to feed the poor. And Paul says here in chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good to stand in no one, to be peaceable, considerate and to show true humility towards all. So for us to live out a just life in prospect is to ask ourselves the question, how can we as Tituses in this church do that sort of justice, that sort of righteousness in our community here? And that's a question that we actually answer corporately. It's not just for one person to look at. So let's look secondly at the case study of hope. Now I'd like to take what uh, is written in Titus here and uh, how that affects the gospel into our public life in one particular area. And I believe in helping people integrate their faith with their work as well. And that's what we believe in very strongly. And Jesus himself says as he's in in the garden just before his crucifixion, he says of his disciples and future disciples he says to his father i have i don't want my disciples to go out of the world i want you father to keep them in the world and not from the world i want you to deeply be he says i want my disciples to be deeply involved with the world but different from the world so together we need to look at what we're going to do how we're going to do it Uh, we just don't get rules and regulations, we get trajectories, we get uh, directions, we get uh, the way in which when we corporately work together, how we're going to fulfil our vocations and get out of that which, uh, those things that Jesus wants us to get. Now, for example, if you're in marketing, is anyone in marketing in this place? Maybe some people have been. If you're in marketing uh, as a believer, um, how do you go about actually being righteous in the workplace and not encouraging idolatry? For instance, if in marketing you're sort of trying to display a person as being moulded in this way, 
and you are trying to get everyone to be molded in that same way, you're trying to get people into idolatry to try and be something that they're not. You know what I mean? So how can we as Christians to look at all of that and, and sort of work through all that together? What are the trajectories we take? And I think there are three trajectories for people to give hope to the world. The first one is motivation. Why do you work? I work for money. Well, that's a good idea because you need money to eat food. But is, is, is it the main reason for working? Why do you work? Uh, I want to find it to be emotionally fulfilling. But is emotional fulfillment, can that become an idol? Yes, it can become an idol. It really can. So there must be more to work than that. And Paul says three times in this passage, he says, Christians are people who are concerned about the common good. So our work always heads towards or points towards the common good of the congregation and the common good of the community. That's what Jesus is, wants to do. That's what he saved us to do. So we ask the question, is my work helping human beings flourish in some way? Is it building up our human community? If you look at Adam and Eve, you get, you get a good picture of what work is there. They had a garden, right? God sets them to work in the garden. What do they do in the garden? They have to work in the garden, right, to produce stuff. They produce food to feed people, which is a common good. They produce flowers to give to each other, which makes people feel encouraged, which is the common good as well. So work is about producing food and flowers to make us all a community that knows the goodness of God together. And that's what you do with music. If you're a musician, you, take, you actually take the raw materials of sound and you rearrange it uh, so that those sounds are meaningful, they lift people up, and they change us and they help us. That's what music is for, where there's somebody who's got Christ in their hearts. And writers and actors, they tell stories, and in doing that, they actually build up people's lives. So Christians should always say, in my workplace, on my job, in my work, am I helping people flourish spiritually and physically and emotionally and relationally and socially? And am I going to do that work even if it is not a professionally fulfilling, not an emotionally fulfilling and not a financially fulfilling? Because that is the bottom line, what people need. Now, at the moment with COVID, one of the maybe one of the best things that we can do is serve coffee because people need to talk. We need to have community. Some people really are struggling. So in just serving coffee, you can actually get a, a, a group of people into community where they encourage each other. And it may sound very, not just a very small thing, but in actual facts, in today where you're in lockdown or where people are in lockdown, it's unbelievably important. It's really important. Secondly, uh, in terms of our work, we, we need to look at it in terms of proportion. The Greek word here means in, order, in, in verse uh, 3, verse 3, I'll read it out. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passion and pleasures. All kinds of passion and pleasures there, actually, the word actually means inordinate desires, inordinate desires. And, and an ordinate de desire is taking a desire to the point where it becomes an addiction. And addictions are obviously wrong. We put ourselves at the centre of that. But it's true that uh, if when we're saved by grace, we are saved, or Jesus has saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, so that we have been but we have been justified by His grace. With might, we might become. Oh, I'm done for. 
He saved us, not because of righteousness, the things that we have done, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And if the gospel really penetrates our heart, it makes us proportionate people, people with proportion. It enables us to rest. It enables us to actually put family ahead of our workplace. It enables us to keep our sanity through not actually uh, having inordinate desires. And thirdly, when we work, we, when we see ourselves in, the, in, in terms of Jesus returning again, we have the consolation of hope. Now, here's a really important thing for a church where we are at the moment. An awful lot of people ratchet back and forth in their lives between idealism in terms of work, and that is, through my work, I'm going to get this done, I'm going to get justice done in the world, idealism, right, to cynicism where we say, nothing ever really changes in this world, I've been beating my head against the wall. But if we have this blessed hope, if we can see in the future something that is complete in Jesus Christ, we can actually say Jesus Christ is coming back and he will complete all things. Tolkien, he wrote Lord of the Rings. You know Tolkien. Um, I'm slightly these days into fantasy in my old age. I'm actually enjoying it. I think fantasy and quantum physics lie close together if you ever watch anything about quantum physics. I won't go into details on that anyway Tolkien was writing his book Lord of the Rings right and he had a writer's block so he couldn't get anywhere so in the middle of that writer's block he wrote a little book he called Life by Niggle Life by Niggle and it was the story of this little guy living outside a village on his own um, who was an artist he wanted to be an artist he wanted to get out of himself what what was inside of him so he starts to paint but his neighbour who is lame, a guy called, um, what's his name, Mr Parrish, is always coming over to ask him to do things because he can't do them for himself. And so Niggle starts all this art and never gets it finished. As a matter of fact, he gets very little completed, partly because he's kind-hearted, partly because he's lazy, and partly because that's just the way it works out. But in the process of that, he gets one absolutely brilliant leaf painted, like... He, he says, I've nailed it, and, and he really believed that. No one else cared much about it, but he could see that leaf. And then coming out of that leaf, as he sort of did other work and came back and what have you, he could sort of begin to get pencil on this huge big uh, canvas he'd put up. He could pencil in the whole tree and birds in the tree and valleys and a distant mountain away, and he just penciled them in. And then he dies. And he's going to heaven, right? And at one stage, because it's a fantasy, you can go to heaven like this, he's riding his own push bike, which he had back at his house before, only a better one. And he, he's going to heaven, right? He's riding along and he looks out to the side and guess what? As he gets closer to heaven, he sees the whole tree, right? His leaf's on that tree, just his leaf, nothing much more, just the leaf. He says, wow, here's the whole tree and it's alive. The birds are nesting and mating and the little animals are running around underneath there and it's alive. And he looks around a bit further and the valleys are there and the mountains behind there, which he wants to go towards. And it says in the story, he, uh, Tolkien has him saying in the story, he lifts up his hands and he says, it's a gift. It's a gift. 
The point is there, we can't be cynical and think that somehow or other we're not going to get anywhere. We can't be idealistic and say we're going to change the whole world. But because of who Jesus is and what he's going to complete on his return, we can and need to and be encourage each other to get that leaf in on that painting. All right? Say, for instance, if you're in city planning, you know, you've got the city of God that's talked about in the Bible, that new Jerusalem, and you come into that idealistically and you're going to sort of do the whole city plan out and you're going to make that work and then you run into all the trouble of rules and regulations and politicians and all the rest of it. It's very easy to get cynical. If you become a lawyer and you say, I'm going to actually bring justice, God's justice, to all these people, and over 10 years, all you get is a couple of cases where you say, I nailed it, all right? You could become cynical, but we don't because there is going to come that time when the tree will be complete, when justice will come, and we will see it as it really is, but we won't see it until that day. And that is the reason for our hope. That's the hope which is before us. The Heidelberg Catechism asks this question of believers. What comfort is it to you that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead? And the answer to the catechismal question is that in all afflictions and persecutions with uplifted head, I will wait for the judge from heaven who has already offered himself to judge to the judgment of God for me and has taken away all of my curse. The only reason, Paul, when you and I can see that the coming of Christ of hope and the hope of the world and the hope for us, and the only way we can see it as blessed is to see that there has been a time when the judge came and he came to judge. He's already here, he's already been here, and he died on the cross, and he took our punishment in his place. We actually have the judge who was actually judged for us. And to me, that's absolutely brilliant. As the Bible says, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we would know that righteousness of God, that right outworking in our relationship with God. When that future time comes and Jesus returns, your piece of leaf can be there, whatever that piece of leaf is. My piece of leaf can be there. There can be that great canvas that will be fulfilled in that day. But please, please, my brothers and sisters, do not become idealistic. Do not become cynical. But focus on Jesus and his second coming and be fruitful in this week and in the weeks to come. Sometimes the things that we actually do in terms of, of, being, of getting that leaf out can be unbelievably small. I saw this guy in the, in the country up in Loxton whose wife was always 25 feet in front of him and always the, the scene, you know, and he was bouncing along behind, you know, that sort of situation. And he got converted. He went around shaking everyone's hands. He'd only gone to year seven at school. He's a farmer. So he'd never gone to high school. His wife was a school teacher. And when he got converted, he went around shaking everyone's hand and he kept on saying to everyone, meet the brand new David. That's what he kept saying. He would have been in his mid-30s. 
And then later on, uh, he'd, he'd obviously, he, he just was around the church talking to people. And he thought, well, you know, his wife's out here and he's back, he's quiet, shy and all the rest of it. He thought to himself, self, what can I do? What is, what is in this sense, what is my leaf? And what he decided to do was to meet one new person every week and listen to them and just talk to them. I tell you what, wherever he was standing in the church, there were people always smiling, you know. It was really good, really good. So your piece of leaf, you don't need an education to do it. What you do need is, is to be a brand new person, have the hope of the resurrection in the future, the hope of the second coming of Christ, and then get on and just do your bit. Amen? Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you're able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.